0: Right now, you're taking a live look at how the market he's doing right now. We think now, down diversification, is, is, as practice, generally makes very little sense for I anyone that knows what, out, what they're What
1: they're the hell they do? It's like razzle dazzle. This mm-hmm. guy does that. Do. I do the numbers.
0: Oh, good for you.
2: Seven point four billion U.S. dollars. As we go through this podcast, this number will come up again like you to remember it because it's important for the company that we will be talking about today right here on i do the numbers my name is mike as always welcome or welcome back depending on whether you listened in before today we're going to talk about the walt disney company Talking about Walt Disney is something that I wanted to do for, for quite some time now. I, I prepared the summary report uh, back in November, and, and most of what you will be hearing today is is based on that initial research, naturally updated with with more recent events, in particular the Investor's Day announcements that they had in December of 2020, so roughly a month ago. Before we start, as always, I'd like to recommend that you visit our website. It's www. I do the numbers.com, no spaces. And if you navigate to the reports section, you will find the summary report that we prepared on Walt Disney, where you will find additional charts, metrics, uh, financial information, and that should be a great way to complement your own research on the company, provided that you're interested in investing in Walt Disney. Just as a brief disclosure here for the first time, I have to say that yes, I am a Walt Disney company shareholder, and I will remain a Walt Disney Company shareholder for the foreseeable future and the reasons for that, I guess, I will outline here today. So without further ado, let's talk about Walt Disney. This is I Do the Numbers. Let's go. Perhaps you're already familiar with what the company does. In detail in that case, just skip this chapter and go right to the next one, which starts with the uh, the revenue streams and explaining where the, the money the company makes, comes from. But for those of you who are not that familiar with it, or would like a quick update. Uh, what does the Walt Disney Company do? It's a company that was founded many, many years ago in 1923. So a few years from now, they will celebrate their 100th birthday, which uh, I believe we can expect to be accompanied with with major new releases of films and content, and perhaps there will be special things happening at the theme parks and cruise lines as well. So that's clearly something to look forward to for the company, for the history of the company, and perhaps also for the shareholders. Today, Walt Disney operates in four distinct business divisions. One of them is called Media Networks. Second is Parks, Experiences, and Products. Then you have the Studio Entertainment Division. And last but certainly not least, the direct-to-consumer and international division. So what do the individual divisions do? The media networks is very much the the segment um, where all the domestic TV channels that Disney owns are bundled and, and they collect affiliate and licensing fees, right-of-use fees uh, for the content catalog that they have. They sell advertising space. Um, a number of the channels that you're probably familiar with are the Disney Channel Disney Junior, Disney XD, then you have ESPN, you have ESPN Radio, you have the FX channel, uh, Fox 21, ABC, and actually everything else that was acquired when they when they took over 21st Century Fox, a part of 21st Century Fox in 2019. The Parks, Experiences, and Products division is very much where the magic happens, so to speak. It's, it's Disney World, it's Disneyland, it's the Disney Cruise Lines, the Disney... Vacation clubs, uh, the National Geographic Expeditions is part of it. Then they have a Hawaii resort. They have the the publishing worldwide, the Disney Store, the Adventures by Disney. So everything that's really involved with, with theme parks, with holidays, vacations, and the respective resorts that they operate. What's interesting to note there is that Disney does not own all of its resorts outright, or even has a majority, for example, Hong Kong Disneyland Resort is only 47% owned by Disney, the Shanghai Disney Resort is 43% owned, and the Tokyo Disney Resort is not owned by Disney at all. They just collect the licensing fees for providing the name to it. Also, you will you will see in the summary report, that there are certain subsidiaries like ESPN, National Geographic, or Hulu, where Disney doesn't doesn't own 100%. I've listed uh, the respective stakes that they have in the company um, as of November last year. The third division is studio entertainment. So this is where most of the content that that Disney has in its, in its major catalog, other than, of course, whatever they took over when they acquired Fox. This is where, where a lot of the content that you will in the future also see on Disney+, and which you're probably familiar with from, from visiting the movie theaters, at least pre-COVID. This is where it's all being produced and developed. This is where Marvel Studios and Pixar and the Walt Disney Studios, Disney Nature, etc., Lucasfilm, of course, Blue Sky, uh, Fox Searchlight, all of these major development production studios when it comes to films and movies um, are operated in the studio entertainment division. And then again, last but certainly not least, the DTCI, so again, direct-to-consumer and international. This is where you will find Disney+, Plus. this is where you will find Hulu, this is where you will find ESPN+. Plus and the international TV networks that they own and operate. And the importance of the DTCI segment today is perhaps still a little bit underappreciated, but when it comes to future growth, as we will see, the expectation is that this particular segment will continue to contribute significantly to the overall growth of the company and become extremely important. Thinking about Disney+, Plus, thinking about Hulu, But we will address that later in this podcast. So, so much for the overview. Uh, Another important thing, perhaps, is that there recently has been a management change. So the longtime CEO, Bob Iger, stepped down. He's still the executive chairman, and he's still very much involved in the creative development of the company but Bob Chapak took over as the new CEO. And I thought this would be a good time to listen to what they have to say about this transition, which for many people came a little bit as a surprise, at least at the time it was announced. But then again, of course, Disney had a storyline to present. Let's hear what they have to say.
1: Well, I obviously have huge shoes to fill. I mean, Bob's legacy in the company is just profound. Uh, I think my role is now to take The strategic pillars that he's so well established over the last 15 years and continue to work on those and implement those in the marketplace, most importantly our direct to consumer initiatives, but at the same time look around the corner for what disruption might be going on in the marketplace that would necessitate a fresh look at those things. But right now the the course that Bob has laid is one that we fully intend to follow and I think will pay dividends for our shareholders for years to come.
0: If you take everything at face value, this was about secession and transition, then this is, uh, nothing really changes for Disney shareholders. Uh, This is certainly the best content out there, uh, arguably some of the best DTC out there, uh, or I should say at least a challenge to Netflix and certainly trading at a significantly cheaper multiple in that core DTC business. Uh, But as someone that's long the stock and someone that was hoping we didn't hear about either some uh, some shakeup at the company for a specific reason or uh, the fact that there was structurally something broken. Um, this is uh, about what we thought was going to happen. There was nothing new on news today. The timing was uncomfortable based upon the day that the markets yeah. had had. And obviously this was never going to be a happy day for Disney shareholders. But, but that's what I heard.
1: I suspect in the beginning it will be more of the same because essentially the strategies that Bob's put in place are really you know, long lasting in terms of where the company's going to go in the short term. Over time though, as we all both recognize, disruption and transformation are just inevitable in this business and it hits each one of our businesses a little bit differently, but it's inevitable that those businesses will be disrupted and it's recognizing at that time when we'll need to shift and that's I think the art of the job.
2: The reason why I mentioned this management change is because Bob Iger, I guess, it cannot be understated how much he has shaped the company over the past, let's say, two decades. Uh, We don't have to go all the way back to the founding years and to to the things that happened uh, 50, 60 years, 80 years after that. Let's just go back to 2006, 2009, and 2012. These are the years when Disney took over Pixar, uh, Marvel Studios, and Lucasfilm, respectively. And these three acquisitions, acquiring some of the greatest film studios in the world, and in particular the greatest content, the greatest franchises. Think about Star Wars, of course. Think about the Avengers and everything that Marvel has done over the first few phases of their rollout. Uh, Pixar, with all the animation content that they have created, the, the, the Oscar-winning films. So looking back over these few years where they made the major acquisitions. Today, you could say this was a very well-prepared move because now that they're using Disney Plus and Hulu to push all of that streaming content uh, internationally, it makes perfect sense to have these franchises and to have these studios under the umbrella of Disney. And I like to believe that the long-term idea behind these acquisitions was actually in place when it happened. But even if that is not the case, these acquisitions were very important and they contributed heavily to the success of Disney in recent years. If you just think about the major franchises and and how much money they raked in in the box offices over the past decade, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe alone. It was certainly an outstanding move back then and now with Disney Plus breaking records and with Disney having added significant additional content when acquiring 21st Century Fox, all the pieces fit nicely together. We will look at that, how the entire company works together a little bit later. But what I can say is that Bob Iger has shaped... Disney as it is today, brilliant moves looking back, whether that was always the idea that he had, we certainly cannot tell. But I'd like to think that they are a company that has this particular long-term view and that has that particular strategic thinking in place when making acquisitions, when taking decisions. So I would say, well done, Bob Iger. Thanks for stepping down and still staying on board. And all the best to Bob Shepak as he takes over now and by the way has to handle the COVID crisis in the very first years of his ceo tenure let's talk disney financials revenue streams as i said the company operates in four divisions and if you look at the overall top line growth in the past 10 years what you will find is that grisney over the past 10 years has grown from a 41 billion dollar revenue company to a $65.4 billion revenue company, consolidated revenue, of course. And I believe it's fair to say that without Corona COVID, and here's where the number 7.5 billion comes into play again, because that is the amount that Disney claims is the profit reduction this year because of COVID, because of Corona, because they had to shut down so many theme parks and their cruise lines and their holiday resorts and all of that. So without that, we would... We would perhaps have seen Disney pass that $70 billion threshold already in 2020. That wasn't the case, but I I think they they soon will. And I guess what we can expect is that uh, Disney Plus and Hulu, they will continue to grow strongly. They will continue to add significantly to the top-line growth in recent years. And this also helps the other divisions, namely media networks and, of course, studio entertainment, because they can develop the content and produce the content and then sell it Intra-company, or license it more to say to the DTCI division who will then push the content through to consumers worldwide through Disney Plus and Hulu. So overall what we're seeing with the growth of the streaming services that Disney is betting so much money on is that the company itself will be will be uh, tied more closely together. And you can actually see this if you look at the 2019 and 2020 revenues. Uh, before consolidation, the revenues in these two years were 71.5. So so there's basically equal before consolidation revenue, even even though, of course, parks, experiences, and products have lost almost $10 billion in revenue. And, and movie theaters were shut down, so the studio entertainment also has face significant obstacles, the intra-company sales to the DTCI division from the media networks and the studio entertainment division have actually helped create a before-consolidation revenue that was stable compared to 2019. And that is a major achievement because we saw the direct-to-consumer and international division grow from $9.3 billion in revenue to $17 billion. So that's almost doubling their revenue within one year attributed to the success That Disney Plus has had. We will look at it more closely in the selective dive, but what we can say that one year after Disney Plus was launched, it already had roughly 74 million subscribers worldwide. And this is what makes all the difference that they have a new business model, namely Disney Plus and Hulu content streaming where they can build on the success that in particular netflix has had people are now familiar with streaming content and the huge disney content catalog is what helps them accelerate the growth that we're seeing in the division and which will help disney to not only defend its top line but expand it significantly in years to come even if their theme parks, their cruise lines, their vacation resorts should remain closed down in many areas in the world for the next six or 12 months, depending on how quickly we can actually recover from COVID. But this is truly a success story. Uh, Top line at Walt Disney is super intact. The growth has been impressive in recent years, and I guess we can only expect this to accelerate in the next five to 10 years to come. So thumbs up for Disney in terms of top line revenue development Looking at some of the other key financials I think one conclusion that you 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 can already have about Walt Disney is that that it's a growing a highly profitable company with a very solid solid balance sheet and reliable cash flows but still there's a lot of room to breathe what do I mean by that so while while the top line growth has been very promising as I said uh, several aspects have caused the operating profit to decline in recent years, namely in 2019 and 20. Of course, in 2020, as I said, this was mostly attributed to Corona COVID with a 7.4 billion overall impact on, on operating profit, which is a huge number. So you take that out, then you would actually see that both the margin and the absolute number would have been better in 2020 than in 2019 and what caused the the initial decrease in 2019 was the acquisition of of Fox 21st Century Fox so if you look at this what you saw in 2015 16 17 18 like clockwork the the EBITDA margin of Disney was around 30% so we're talking 15.5 to 18 billion US dollars in operating profit. And then when they acquired Fox, that number dropped down significantly. I still think the Fox acquisition made a lot of sense because of the content that they acquired. It was a smart move, in particular considering the expansion plans for Disney Plus and Hulu. But they need to clean up Fox and they need to clean it up fast. So so stripping certain studio projects from Fox should give investors a taste of, of, of what can and needs to be done. But as we see uh, profit margins going down because Fox is such a has such a major impact on the overall financials of Disney. If they can restructure and integrate that business quickly, then we should Disney or see Disney be able to return to the the the, the pre-acquisition uh, operating margins. I'm I'm clearly convinced that that can happen, and we we shouldn't forget that their DTCI division, so the one that has includes Disney Plus and Hulu. Uh, is still not turning a profit. So we see tremendous growth as they add content, as they're spending a lot of money on marketing and sales and developing the the subscriber base, which has been quite successful. I guess what we can expect that they will turn a profit soon. Um, if you look at Netflix, Netflix is a 20 billion revenue company with a 10% operating margin, and I don't see why Disney Plus should not contribute the same amount to, to, to Disney's top and bottom line. So I guess there is a very promising area in terms of seeing the operating margin recover and the absolute numbers recover as well, because Corona COVID will will clearly still have an impact in the current financial year, but hopefully the year after that it will be gone. So you won't have that particular major 7.4 billion profit impact. Then you will have restructured Fox at one point and have it integrated nicely. And then you have the DTCI business division turning a profit and growing strongly in the future. So there's so many things to that, that, that will very likely go right at one point, um, that the picture that you see in 2020, a company that had a decrease in revenue and a decrease in operating profit, it simply is not sustainable. And I guess that what you see in the stock price as well, we will talk about that, is that investors are betting on this recovery and are betting on Disney being able to manage Fox adequately and to grow Disney Plus and Hulu profitably as well. Looking at the balance sheet, naturally acquiring 21st Century Fox has tremendously changed the overall asset base. Uh, Before the acquisition, 2018, um, the total assets stood at nearly 100 billion, and it almost doubled after the 21st Century Fox acquisition. But the equity ratio itself still stands strong, 40 percent. They have net debt of about 48 billion. But that's certainly manageable, given the the overall profitability and cash flow this company has. They even have room for additional acquisitions, I believe. Disney can can always, naturally, float new shares, a little capital increase here, but there's also still room for debt. So just because they acquired 21st Century Fox, and that is, of course, a huge job to integrate and restructure that business, it doesn't mean there isn't room for additional projects, if need be. And I, I have some ideas about what that could be. We will talk about that later. So, as I said, I I believe that the balance sheet is so strong that there's room for additional uh, equity issues, there's room for additional debt, and they could always, always cut back on dividends to create additional breathing room. So, overall, even if the company uh, would be downgraded with a negative outlook, there's no concern long-term in this company. They're stable, they're growing, they're highly profitable and they will improve profitability again once this crisis and the Fox restructuring is over. So again, also here, absolutely no concern. I think Disney is very, very well positioned for the next five to ten years. Which brings us to our selective dive. And as you will also see in the in the, in the the episodes that we will do next, where we will cover Netflix and then AT&T, AT&T slash Warner Brothers with HBO Max, The Selective Dive will focus very much on content streaming and what people call the streaming wars. And whether that term is accurate or not, we will have room and time to discuss that. But for now, I think that it's fair to say that streaming is huge. Ask yourself, have you subscribed to one, two, three, perhaps four streaming services? Because there are quite a lot out there. But I think what I can say already is that the content catalog that Disney has from their own history, from their own studio productions, from their own media networks division, and now adding whatever 21st Century Fox brought in, how can you compete with that? We know that Netflix has has had tremendous success. They spend a lot of money every year on original content. I guess it can be said about Amazon and Apple as well, though they have different strategies in place, and we will discuss them when we talk about Netflix. I believe that Netflix, just as little preview, is a prime acquisition target at one point for Apple in particular, but we will talk about that. But what I'm saying is that Disney Plus is very much walking on the path that Netflix has, has cut, if you will, into the jungle. So Netflix has, has built... This nice little road, and now Disney Plus and Hulu just follow behind. Customers are familiar with content streaming, they're familiar with the services, and they're very much subscribing heavily to what Disney has to offer. And there's still room. There's still large parts of Europe, of South America, of Asia that Disney Plus has not tapped into yet, but where they will roll out quickly. But even without that, what we saw after it was originally launched in late 2019 is that Disney Plus has grown from zero subscribers to 73.7 subscribers. You add the roughly 36.6 million subscribers that Hulu had at the end of 2020 to that, you're getting to 110 subscribers for Disney Plus and Hulu alone. Compare that to Netflix. They're still a little bit behind. Netflix has 195, roughly. But Disney Plus is just getting started, and they've seen tremendous success already, and they can still roll out in Europe, South America, and Asia. So I don't see why Disney Plus and Hulu combined, or perhaps even Disney Plus alone, should not be able to get to where Netflix is today. And the big difference here is that Netflix has to spend so much money on original content to keep subscribers interested and to gain new subscribers why disney plus can build on this huge content catalog and will also continue to add to it using their incredible franchises like star wars like the marvel cinematic universe and the animation films that are so important for families and kids which they then produce at walt disney studios or pixar so if you look at Netflix today, you're seeing as I said a 20 billion revenue company with a 10% operating margin and they're spending over 10 billion a year to produce new content, right? And this is where the Disney division TTCI is is headed with the slight difference that as I said they can build on this gigantic content catalog from the media networks and the studio entertainment division. And Disney also has far greater bundling opportunities. So you want to subscribe to Netflix, you subscribe to Netflix. You want to subscribe to Disney Plus, Hulu and ESPN Plus, everything that Disney offers, they offer that in a nice little bundle for example. So if you ask me, Disney can take this entire streaming landscape to an entirely new level. I'll be very interested in, in understanding and hearing and seeing how Netflix is going to respond to that. And just to add to that, there was an Investor Day recently in December that Disney had, and I want you to listen to what their plans are and how they shocked the entire competitive landscape with one single announcement. Let's take a listen.
1: Disney Plus has exceeded our wildest expectations. This success has bolstered our confidence and our continued acceleration towards a DTC first business model.
0: That thinking led to the acquisitions of Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm and 21st Century Fox, each bringing with them a breathtaking array of branded content and the ability to create even more of it. And the pipeline of original content we're making is much more robust than we had initially anticipated with an incredibly impressive number of great new episodic series, Feature films, documentaries, and specials all coming to the service in the next few years. They'll also be arriving at a much quicker cadence. We've set a target of 100-plus new titles per year, and this includes Disney Animation, Disney Live Action, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic. And of course, we'll continue to add more to our rich library as well. But we also believe we have the opportunity to increase Disney Plus pricing given the additional value we will be adding to the service.
2: So I guess I rest my case. There's so much more to come and um, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney Plus is able to double its subscriber base over the next 24 months. Let's see what happens. Moving on to Walt Disney's key metrics or just some of them, as I already said, uh, the, the business is super solid. It's also, I think, um, quite predictable. If you rule out things like the Fox acquisitions and the, the Corona COVID crisis, you will see a company that will once again not only have top line growth, but but will have high profitability margins of twenty five to thirty percent. Other than that, um, talking a little bit about liquidity and solvency. So, so I mean, Disney ramped up its cash cash reserves before and after the acquisition of Fox. Their cash conversion was was okay historically. They're still very solidly financed. As I said, the strong equity position, fairly low leverage despite the major acquisition. And in particular, if they then revise their dividend policy or even cut back on payouts short terms, there is a lot of room to breathe for this company. Which uh, brings us to the stock. So looking back over the the past 10 years, um, we have seen two very different phases that Disney's stock performance has gone through. So, So we saw very little development between 2000, 2001 and then 2010, but then the next five years, so after they made the Pixar and the Marvel acquisition, and they had all the major Marvel Cinematic Universe releases, you saw the stock taking off. Between October and 2011, and October 2015, the average annual growth of the stock was a little more than 37%. And then the incline has been much more moderate. We only saw a uh, 7.1% year-on-year increase, despite large share repurchases. So they they very much underperformed the, the Dow Jones during that period. It was the period when they acquired Lucasfilm and the Star Wars franchise and where they continued to release Marvel Cinematic Universe and also Star Wars-related um, content, but for some reason the stock didn't really bother to budge. So the Dow Jones was much stronger during that period, that, that same five year period with 13 percent average annual growth and disney just couldn't compete so when i when i made the summary report when i wrote it the disney stock stood at 144 dollars which was approximately five percent below its all-time high which was in late november 2019 when they launched disney plus and what i said in the report that okay if you want to if you want to um to really be pessimistic about this, then you can see then you can see the stock declining back to one hundred dollars, but I don't see why. And I gave a, a, an upside a midterm upside to one hundred and seventy nine dollars, which was twenty four percent over the one uh, over the the value on November seventeen. And incidentally, um, as I'm recording this, today is January ninth, so I haven't updated the the graph and the report. But I can tell you that today the stock is trading at $179. So my prediction has already come true. So the value that I saw with everything that was going on mid to long term is already displayed in the market right now. Um, I would, uh, so I would say at $179, the company's stock is, is trading very much at its, at its fair value based on the prospects that I see. Short term, it could be a little volatile because you, you, you still don't know how long this corona COVID mass is going to continue and how long certain parks will remain shut down. But again, Disney should be very, very well positioned for the future. Let's talk a little bit about the likes and dislikes. So, what do I like about Disney and what do I think should be addressed? One thing that I like is their world leading brands. I, I don't think that you will find a company that combines so many world class brands and franchises and well known icons under one roof it's it's simply that disney is synonymous with entertainment you know disney you know star wars you know mickey mouse you know by now marvel even if you if you live in remote areas of the world or you're not really interested in in cinema and film it's very likely that you've that you've heard about the hulk that you've heard about iron man or whoever else comes up so I guess um, the brand equity, if you will, that this company has is, is supreme. It's absolutely outstanding. The same goes for the content catalog. So in my opinion, no company in the world has, has a deeper amount of content to distribute. Even if most of it is is, is family-oriented, which may distinguish them a little bit from Netflix, from Apple, etc., the competitors that they have when it comes to content will have a very hard time catching up they. Truly, they, they really can. Netflix can even can, can, can double its spending on original content. And great shows, great series, great films will come out of that, and they will win prices. But Disney can do very much the same. And this company is much more profitable than Netflix is. And it has a much, much larger resources than Netflix has. So if they want to squash that company, they could. Another thing that I like is the cross-selling. So we talked about the four business segments that they have. And it's great to see how nicely they all tie together. So Disney has this sublime ability to, to integrate its brands and franchises in the multiple offerings that they have. For example, you have a successful blockbuster movie, which will then result in licensed merchandise and products. Uh, there will be sponsored McDonald's menus. You will see videos, uh, video games and board games. Perhaps there will be a new ride at the Disney uh, the Disney theme parks, or you, you will even have a new... Uh, Disney Cruise Line Experience or Resort Experience where they they nicely use that one successful film and they milk the cow throughout all of their other divisions and all of their other businesses worldwide. And naturally with, with the media networks and now Disney Plus and Hulu, that will never go away. So if they are able to create certain hits and they continue telling these great stories, you can nicely see where each of the divisions can benefit from that. And that, I believe, is the true magic of Disney. Which leads to the fourth thing that I really like is is the many touch points that Disney has throughout the day with its consumers. So it's, it's very easy to imagine that you have a family which is engulfed in Disney throughout the day. The, cl- the kids perhaps wear, wear Mickey Mouse pajamas. Um, they, they play video games that Disney owns to a certain brand or a board game or whatever. Yeah, then then you, you watch a movie in the evening together, which perhaps is from the Disney universe. If you want to go on holiday, why not go to a Disney resort, a Disney theme park, or, or jump on a Disney cruise line? So there are so many areas where Disney has direct exposure to, to, to families and to consumers worldwide. That is really, that is really quite unique. And then, uh, last but not least, the solid financials. As I said, it's a growing company. It's a profitable company. It's very, very solidly financed with room to breathe. So I don't see why anyone would complain about where Disney is today. Once again, even after or during Corona COVID, the company stands strong. If you ask me what I don't like, certainly a few things. What I was always bothered with is the Hulu deal. So, so Hulu yes very much it has a niche as a streaming service it already has more than 36 million subscribers um, and the, the the monthly average revenue per subscriber is significantly high and now that you have the, the content from FX although now there's FX on Hulu that, that is certainly quite an interesting promising in particular if you think about the Disney plus is still a very family oriented service so everything that is maybe a bit more mature you could always push or try to push through Hulu however growing Hulu separately from Disney Plus worldwide requires a lot of money for the advertising for the business development and at the same time even if you have a large content catalog if you then also want to start creating original content for Hulu then basically then you will have to spend significant amounts that may miss elsewhere so i don't know growing hulu as much as disney plus or as aggressively may just not be viable because it costs so much money and the question is do we really want to do that there is a very strong case against growing it worldwide because disney still owes money to comcast in 2024 for some of the hulu shares today disney owns 67 percent And they have a chance to acquire more shares in the future. But there is still a high payout to Comcast. So the the way that I understand this is that that the payout has a fairly high floor. So the minimum amount that Disney will have to pay is $5.8 billion. But if Hulu performs very, very well, then this price will, of course, increase. So there is now a trade-off between heavily pushing Hulu, spending money on content, spending money on growing the service... Um, and then at the same time being punished for that because you have to then spend or pay more money to Comcast. So what what we could actually see is that Hulu will just do what it does, and once that Disney has paid off Comcast, perhaps then they will look at it again and say, okay, I guess now is the time with with Disney Plus having 200 million subscribers now to try to push Hulu a little bit further in that direction as well. So Hulu is certainly something that, that we need to look at to see how Disney works Uh, around this issue with with the comcast payout in 2024 then again what i don't like i understand that it fits nicely in the parks and and recreations and experience division Um, but the cruise lines for me are while popular um, and while while offering a great opportunity to basically have access to your consumers all day every way every day because you cannot go anywhere when you're on a ship you're on that ship so you're very much in the hands of the company but Cruise lines, to me, are a little bit out of date because they have such a negative environmental impact. So the capital requirements to to maintain the ships or to buy new ships is is super high. Those are billions and billions of dollars every year that I think could be spent in other business segments like content creation or like building new theme parks or like perhaps making an acquisition in the video game industry and then stop licensing your brands to video game developers, but rather keeping it in-house. We would talk about that in a minute so so i think that the cruise line division is is no longer what i would see as part of of disney the money should be spent elsewhere and we we saw during corona COVID how much problems this can also cause Uh, when you have a problem on a ship you really have a problem on a ship so i think the cruise lines they 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 should go they should discontinue operating them or simply sell them to someone else who then can license the disney brand name uh, for 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 their for their cruises that would that would work better for me than than seeing Disney spend so many billions every year on on maintaining and expanding their fleet. A third thing, or perhaps combining the two. So so the Fox acquisition it it weighed Disney down heavily. Restructuring is necessary. Um, there will certainly be attempts to to let's say Disneyfy Fox and Fox content. It will take time. And I just hope that it will will still happen fairly quickly, that the integration, the restructuring doesn't weigh down the company for another five years or so, but that they rather, you know, if they're not sure how a business will do, if they're not sure whether they can recover certain appeals here and there or, or return a large profit comparable to the Disney Group profit margin levels, um, then they should perhaps simply discontinue certain things that they acquired. And then the regional TV stations, so I'm not a big fan of... of of, of let's say regular TV channels, anyway, and particularly in the US, where you, where you don't really have a or very very few publicly funded stations where you perhaps get objective um, objective input. What you have there is is a large assortment of local, regional, national, international channels, and I guess that they contribute nicely both to the top and bottom line, and that is that is fine. But the business is also highly regulated, especially in the US. Further takeovers are, are more or less impossible. Advertising revenue has, I think, moved away from television anyway in recent years. So, I, I'm not saying that they should sell all the channels. They, they certainly shouldn't because it's it's a it's a profit making business. But what they should do is make sure that it loses its importance overall. Which brings us to the last segment for us today for today's episode: the outlook for Walt Disney. As I said, there's lots of magic, there are endless possibilities, and I think what we can expect is the following. There very well might be or will be additional pandemics in the future. The current one will pass at one point. It may certainly take a few years or or months or years even uh, for for things to return to normal, but the vaccines are coming. People will simply get used to it at one point as well. Uh, we, We may even perhaps be more equipped to to judge the risk related to this. So the theme parks will open again, the cruise line will, will operate again, all the resorts will open again, people will travel to foreign countries again, and Disney should, should once again benefit from that. It's a double-edged sword, but Disney reduced its its local manpower in the, in the parks' um, experiences and products' division quite a bit by, I think, over 20,000. So once they reopen everything and everything goes back to normal, um, you will see Disney being able to operate on a much lower cost basis. And that is certainly something that, that, that should, even in the short term, contribute nicely to the bottom line as they reopen, as, as revenues pick up again in that division. Second outlook, of course, I already mentioned this before several times, is the Fox restructuring. Um, there's still work to be done looking at content, the massive amount of movies and series that Fox adds. That should really play out nicely for Disney Plus and Hulu, but the Fox Studios simply need to be streamlined. And I think that they, if they have them produce less films and, and focusing more on what is, what is real, relevant, and interesting content for Disney Plus, then this could work quite nicely. Um, perhaps that's all that, that is left at fox perhaps that is all all that they need you you turn the fox studios into a content machine for disney plus and then you use hulu and other distribution services to have this more mature content like Deadpool. Uh, we'll have to see how that works then most importantly of course the content and the streaming again just naming a few franchises here marvel studios lucasfilm so we're talking mcu we're talking star wars then you have disney plus you have hulu you have espn plus so Disney has some of the greatest franchises under its wing. They have the right channels to bring them directly to the end consumer in their DTCI division. The next way, phase of the Marvel films is, is already underway. They will add more content to to Star Wars, as we heard before when they talked about uh, their plans on Investors Day. And whether they then phase out Hulu or they develop Hulu quickly or slowly, or just use it, you know, to add to the family-oriented content. Family-oriented content on Disney Plus, we will have to see. Um, But content and streaming is huge. It will be huge for Disney. And once again, I don't think that anyone long-term can compare to Disney in this field, even if and when Apple will take over Netflix down the road. And then last but not least, just a hope that I have when it comes to the outlook for the company is I hope that there will be a fifth division called Gaming, right? Let me dream a little. Gaming is huge. We talked about that on this podcast when we talked about the video gaming industry. It will only get bigger. We're talking about mobile gaming. We're talking about eSports. We're talking about all the content for the next console generation, for cloud gaming. There's growth everywhere. And I think that Disney should take far greater control over its gaming assets. So stop licensing stuff to a bad company like EA. Start developing it yourself. You already know the risk profile because you've been developing and producing films for decades. You know how this plays out. You know how it works when you invest a lot of money in content. Then you have to market it and you have to hope that it will uh, turn a profit for you, right? This is an entertainment product. You know how to produce entertainment products. Start producing games, How do you do this? You don't need to build it up from scratch. You have companies out there that you could easily purchase 50 times over. And I guess the prime target for you would be Ubisoft. Because we said that Ubisoft needs a bigger partner to take the next step. They have a lot of experience building great open world and other games. Games that very much compare to what you have been 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 doing together with ea on all the star wars video games where you have open world and role-playing game elements ubisoft could do this better and ubisoft under the disney umbrella there is no end in sight for the cooperation and for the business opportunity at hand so disney if you will ever listen to this bob and bob all right this is the podcast for you i'm telling you Make sure to take greater control of your gaming assets. Stop licensing, buy Ubisoft, and then turn this into the fifth Disney division with a $5 billion revenue top line easily. Easily. So please, go ahead and do that. And that concludes my outlook. Thank you very much. Terrific. That is all I have today. It's been quite a long episode, but Disney is a big company and I wanted to talk about Disney for a long time. I really love the company. I invested in it myself. Um, I think the outlook is terrific. I think the stock is currently trading at a fair value. and, And Disney simply lets you dream when it comes to the outlook for the Disney Corporation. That concludes today's episode. I want to thank you again for listening in. Can only once again recommend you visit our website, idothenumbers.com, for all of our summary reports and for additional information on who we are, what we do, and how you can support us. The easiest way is, of course, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever. Just give us a nice review. Share the content with your friends, family, business associates. Just help us promote this podcast a little bit because the more time that we can spend not thinking about that ourselves, the more we can continue to produce great content. All right, that concludes today's episode. Again, thank you very much, and I will take my friend Kevin here now, and I will – I don't know, Kevin, the stores are not open yet but I think we should order some pizza and just, you know, move outside. Does, does that sound finally like something that you would like to do? I just want to lie on the beach and eat hot dogs. That's all I've ever wanted.